bow our heads and just have a word of prayer before we get into the scripture and then we'll um, hear God's word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be exposed to the scriptures, Lord, to have our hearts, um, so to speak, be spoken to, Father, by the word of God. And, and right now, Father, what we're asking for in this moment is that your Holy Spirit would break through, that your Holy Spirit would come upon my weak attempt to proclaim truth and, and magnify it times 10 in the people's hearts here, Lord. I, I ask God that this morning, as your word goes forth, that, that people, people's uh, affections would be stirred for Christ and be deepened by the proclamation of your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, this is our third installment, and we're going to be talking about proclamation. Maybe a new word to some here this morning, but definitely not a new word uh, to the scripture. Um, and I, I want to be very specific, um, as the word is kind of multi-layered, has many meanings, uh, but I kind of want to be specific in what I mean for our church in this new year. Um, and, and again, I, I want to start by just kind of uh, probably not introducing you to a new concept, but maybe reminding you of a concept that's been quite forgotten by the church. And that is this, is that believers, we who follow Christ, who profess faith in Jesus, are obligated to proclaim our faith. All right, I got two of you with me so far, but I know in the West this may seem like a foreign um, thing, but it's definitely not foreign to the teaching of Scripture, especially our Commander-in-Chief Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark, actually it's in Matthew as well, but Mark chapter 16, Jesus said what in verse 15? He said, go into the world and, and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Now, I want to just start here and then I'm going to kind of make an awkward transition, kind of a quick changing of gears, if you would. But um, we are obligated to share our faith with Jesus, uh, about Jesus. We're not um, offered or are allowed to just opt out, right? There's many things that we can opt out and pick and choose to do what we want and what we don't want. But yet sharing our faith is not one of them. If you're a believer, you have the responsibility to be ready in season and out of season to profess and proclaim your faith in Jesus. To always give an argument for why it is you follow, why it is you believe, and why it is you do what you do as a person. You don't get to opt out. It's not just reduced to people who are behind the pulpit. It's not just for people who are in full-time ministry. It is for all of us. Rather, if your occupation is the pulpit or some workplace uh, or, or the classroom, irregardless, what, wherever you are and whatever you put your hands to do, you are to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And you are to proclaim that faith. Now, I love the statement that preach the gospel always and use words if you have to. But let me be very specific this kind of proclamation, the kind of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is talking about in Mark 16, verse 15, is not just showing people your faith by your good deeds. It's not just bringing somebody a cup of tea 
are, 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 are helping your neighbor bring groceries into her house. That, that's good and, and great, but Jesus has something very specific in mind when he tells you to proclaim the gospel, when he commissions us to proclaim the gospel, and that is by words. You have to use language. You have to articulate. It's not just enough that you demonstrate love and compassion and good deeds. Christ uh, uh, desires that you would use words as well. Again, Paul, the apostle says, you know, be ready in season and out of season to defend your faith at all time. Always being ready to argue uh, why it is and uh, why it is you are the way you are and, and yet you believe in what you believe. And so, again, I just want to be very clear, just in case if there was any confusion, the word go here in Mark is a command. I'm backing up because I'm spitting a lot. I'm sure I'm breaking a bunch of COVID rules. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll try better. Um, but the word go is a command. Again, that's where we get, where we don't have, we don't get to opt out of this thing. And the word proclaim means to preach with the goal to persuade. <laughs> Come on now. This is what Jesus has in mind. Now, this is where we're going to change gears a bit. And it's going to feel a little awkward because we're going to ask a question here. And my question is this, and please don't answer out loud because that would just be more awkward. Um, but has anybody here have that friend in your life um, that has no problem telling you how good they are, how awesome they are? My wife's looking at me and she's like, yeah, you're that guy. Uh, from, time, from, from time to time, uh, I'll just abruptly in our house say, babe, I, I, I can't believe, can, no, I, I don't say I can't. I say, can you believe that you're married to me? And I, I might be like washing the dishes or, or, or making dinner or whatever. Just like, I don't know, but I'm just like impressed with myself. And I never waste a moment just to tell her how fortunate she is to have me in her life. But we all have those. For example, my son, he is in loves football. He is football. Uh, the kid lives and breathes it. And he is good. And he will never waste an opportunity to tell you how good he really is. But we all have friends. Maybe you're that guy. Maybe they're that gal. I don't know. But we all have them in our lives and thank God for them. But then there's the opposite side of that pendulum where we have those friends in our lives who are truly great, right? But they never say a word about their greatness. They never allude at all. I want to be that guy. Unfortunately, I'm trying. God's working on me. But, but we have those friends that never have to at all speak anything about how awesome they really are. They just, they walk into the room and you just honestly, you're just so gravitated by their character and their integrity and their godliness. And they're, you're just like, that person is great. I want to be like them. We all have them in our lives. Thank God. But not only do they not boast about how uh, great they are. They, they spend a lot of time propping others up as well. And that's what we love about them. They, they spend a lot of time not focusing on their own greatness, but other people's greatness. Yeah, anybody have those friends where you just have a down day and they walk in? This is an interactive, so if you can shake your head, that's very helpful. Uh, but you have that friend, you're just having a down day, and they come and they just cheer you up, they build you up, and they prop you up, and they, they kind of shine light on your greatness as an individual, and it's just an awesome exchange. And that's what we love about these kind of people. You know, a person that comes to mind uh, scripturally is John the Baptist, right? 
Now, if you're familiar with the story of John the Baptist, he's a great man. I mean, anytime, anytime you have an angel, especially Gabriel of all angels, coming and proclaiming uh, to Zechariah uh, that he's about ready to have a son and that son is going to be great, <laughs> you, you can automatically assume that that child is going to be a pretty big deal. That happened in Luke 1.15. And then also Jesus said that there was no one ever greater uh, born among men than John the Baptist. So you got Gabriel the angel and Jesus the Messiah talking about how great you are. Certainly this man is awesome, right? I mean, guys, he, he was a forerunner to Jesus' ministry, right? He was the one who came before him and prepared the way. He baptized the Messiah. I mean, that's a pretty big task. I, I, I mean, if John was an influencer, right? If Instagram was a thing, he would be an influencer. Like, people would love him, people would hate him, but for the most part, his greatness would shine. And um, he was a pretty big deal. Matter of fact, he was such a big deal that people who were being baptized by him got him confused with Jesus. Now that's good, that's a good thing to happen. Anytime your close friends confuses you a little bit, we're like, are you the one? Like, <laughs> you know, whoa, like you, you, just, you, just, you just shine Christ, that's a good thing. But John would get confused. They would be like, are, are you the one that the prophet spoke about? Are you the Christ, are you the Messiah? That was actually in Luke 3.15. And I love John's response. John's response in Luke 3.16, he says this, if you have your Bibles, if you're online, you have your phones, whatever you're using to look at the scripture. I also think it will be on the overhead maybe here if they get it up in time, but it's John, I'm sorry, Luke 3.16. John's answered to them. He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. I mean, already Jesus is already great. I mean, John's just dunking people in water. <laughs> like Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. Come on. Uh, so already John is propping up Jesus. He's like, listen, I'm just dunking you in some, the river here. But the one who's coming of whom I'm not worthy to uh, you know, untie the straps on his sandals, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now I'm imagining that John could have used this moment to shine in the spotlight, so to speak. I mean, here are some people confused. They're like, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Like, who are you? You're just, you're just so awesome. And, and, and he could, probably could have used that moment to be like, yeah, you know what? I am pretty cool. After all, the angel Gabriel, you know, he spoke of me, Jesus. He said some pretty kind words about me. I am pretty great, but he doesn't. He, he, he shines and he quickly diverts the attention off of himself and on to Jesus. <laughs> One of the more precious moments in, in John's ministry is when he realized the greatness of Jesus in, in John chapter 3 during a discussion between a uh, Jewish man and some disciples of John regarding purification. Uh, to break it down uh, quickly for us, for the sake of time in our children. Um, there was a man who, who came to John and his disciples, probably at the height of Jesus' ministry, and he started to have a conversation with John about purification. Now here John is baptizing, and kind of down the road, 
Jesus is also baptizing some people. That's kind of awkward. So you imagine the guy's probably thinking, like, John, is your baptism not enough? <laughs> like, like, why is, like, why are you doing this and some people coming and being baptized by you and then they're going down the street to be baptized by Jesus? But then, kind of awkwardly, the conversation takes a turn. And the man starts talking about John's crowds and Jesus' crowds. <laughs> That's the one thing you don't want to hear as a pastor. Hey, that church down the street, man, they are busting at the seams. What happened, what happened to your people, you know? But, but, but the guy starts quickly taking the conversation off of purification and on to John. You know, the people are going over to Jesus and being baptized. Matter of fact, if you look at this, even John's disciples are leaving John and they're going over into Jesus' ministry. That's just, that's just something you don't want to happen as a pastor and as a shepherd. But this is, what hap- this is what's happening. More and more people were being baptized by Jesus' ministry than they were John. And John does the appropriate thing, the thing that's most needed. He takes this moment to exalt Christ. Now here's a man, he's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to establish this. I want, to, I want this to get in our hearts. He, he is awesome. John is a renegade. He is an anomaly. He is a man who's dressed awkwardly, eating locusts and honey, but yet thousands at the peak of his ministry are coming out to him and being baptized by him. And suddenly there's this seismic shift. And, it's, it, and imagine for John, it's not just happening in the natural, so to speak, where people are flocking to Jesus' ministry, but there's probably something I would imagine going on in his own heart, you know, that he's most likely wrestling with. John takes, though, the moment in John chapter 3, 28 through 31 to exalt Christ. This is what John says. And this is what he's always said when people got him confused. And now here, when somebody is acknowledging the obvious of how his status seems to be shrinking. He says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must, speaking of Christ, increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. Oh, that will preach. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. I love this statement. He must increase. Christ must increase. And I, John, the great one, the one of whom the angel Gabriel came and proclaimed to my father that I was going to be great, the one in whom the Messiah stood and declared, I must at this moment decrease and Christ must increase. John was under no illusion, friends. He knows that Jesus must become increasingly important 
while he becomes less significant. All this will preach. Jesus must increase in status. This is essentially what this word increase means in the Greek is that the status of Christ must grow. It must permeate. It must take over. And John's status must decrease. I mean, this comes as no surprise naturally to us today. Of course, Christ must be greater, right? Of course, his greatness must shine forth in the earth. But there's something else that's equally, and I would say even more important than this proclamation of, 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 of Jesus' status needing to grow and John's status needing to decrease. And that is the joy in which John proclaims this with. <laughs> now, come on. I mean, not only is John acknowledging the obvious, right? But he's doing it with joy, <laughs> right? John proclaims the greatness of Christ with the utmost joy in his declaration. Let's see if we can see that again in the passage. It's actually right here. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. He's that bridegroom. And right now he's taking this moment not to just acknowledge the greatness of Christ, but to acknowledge it with joy. Even at the sake of his own reputation becoming nothing, even when his own friends and disciples are leaving, he's joyful about it. Not only is he joyful, but later on in the text he says, therefore, this joy of mine, this exchange, this thing that's fueling my happiness. <laughs> Did you hear that? John's happiness right now is being fueled by the greatness of Jesus. Not only is he content in this, but he feels a sense of completeness. <laughs> that's what it says. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Some of you are just like, what are you talking about? God, it's so obvious, guys. John's ministry is shrinking. People are leaving. They're joining Jesus. In a short time, just after this occasion and this proclamation, John will be put in prison and he will uh, die by being beheaded. And, and you have to imagine John being the prophet, he's somewhat aware of what is going to take place just shortly after this proclamation. But nevertheless, nevertheless, his joy is complete. Which, which tells me that John's completed joy was directly connected to Jesus' growing greatness. Right? I mean, just, I'm doing my best here, people. What, what, what is fueling your joy today? What, what, is, what is giving you hope and joy in this rather uncertain and traumatic, turbulent time that we're living in? 
And I don't even need to get into the specifics. It's all around us. But, but honestly, we can ask ourselves, what is anchoring us? What is making us that distinct group of people who, who are not easily taken by what's going on in culture, are not easily shaken by pandemics and easily shaken by uh, um, politics and division and all, all the all things that are going on in our world. What is, what is fueling your joy today? Can I, can I just, I just, can I submit to you this? Is that, okay, let me, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Have you ever just been excited about singing somebody else's praise? You know, like it's one thing when somebody props you up and encourages you and says something great and nice about you. But how about when you do it for somebody? Is it not for you a thrill? <laughs> does it not just charge you up to, it does me. I, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm weird in that. Maybe I'm an anomaly. But I get excited. I don't do it a lot. I don't know why. But I mean, when I do, there's something that just feels good. There's some that, something that feels needed and necessary. There's something that feels uh, complete. There's something that's joyful about it. And I'm just wondering that going into 2021 and, 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 and thinking about things that are going on in our world and thinking about the need for joy in our culture today, uh, in the midst of everything that is going on in our world, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what is going to keep us there, what's going to keep us locked in and joyful, happy people? And, and I personally think it's in the proclamation of Christ. I, I actually think it's exactly what John is kind of expressing right here in, in the scripture where his world seemingly, visibly from an onside or an outsider is, they're like, hey man, John, your world is falling apart. Your reputation is like, you got no clout anymore. It's all like the party's over there, John. Used to be here, but now it's there. You know, and, and you kind of start thinking like, like what kept John? And you just see it right here. John was thrilled about this moment and this occasion because it wasn't about his status. It was about Christ's status. It wasn't about him and maintaining his greatness through social media and all these things that we try to do. It was, it was really founded in the fact that Christ must increase. That's what's fueling my joy. Jesus must be exalted. And I just happen to think as it worked for John, it will work for us. I mean, naturally. We must proclaim Christ, guys. We must. The, the world is waiting. The world, I believe, wants it even contrary to what we may feel and what we may think the world wants. I believe that the world is looking for truth. It is looking for hope. And what better hope do we have apart from Christ? Nothing. And, and so my little... 2021 kind of exhortation is to you, is this, proclaim Christ. Proclaim Jesus. 
And, and don't let that be conditional. Don't proclaim Jesus when you're on that mountaintop and everything seems to be going right. And the money's there. And the family's good. And the social life is intact. Don't just use moments like that to proclaim Christ. Proclaim Jesus when things aren't so good. When you feel you're in that valley. When you feel you're in that hardship. I think 2021, friends, we... We need to be praying, we need to be praising, and we need to be proclaiming. The way I look at this is, this kind of exalting Christ, there's two things that happen. God's glorified and our joy is complete. So, so it's not like you're left out of the equation, right? There's some kind of beautiful exchange that takes place when we're glorying in God. He's made much of, and we got a joy. <laughs> we, we got a joy that's everlasting, and who doesn't need joy today? I need it. I need it. So it serves two purposes, Jesus' glory and our joy. I want to ask ourselves this question. I want to ask you this question. What are you proclaiming today? We're all saying something, guys. We are all saying something, irregardless if you're using language or not. <laughs> and my question is to you, what are you proclaiming? Billy Graham said this. Our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. Come on. A growing faith is a sharing faith. You want your faith in Christ to grow this year? In 2021, start sharing it. If you feel like you've kind of put your faith under the basket, so to speak, and you're just, you're just not there and you think that's kind of you know, the job of someone else to do, I would un to encourage you. It's your job. It's your job. Start professing Christ. Start proclaiming the gospel to friends, to coworkers, to neighbors, to students. Start now and watch your faith be strengthened and watch your joy be completed. Let's pray. Lord, we want 2021 to look so much different than 2020. Not just the way, Lord, that we may think right now, Lord, the ways in which we want that to look different, but God, we want to be different. We do not want to do church the same. We, we don't want to do our Christian faith the same, God. We, we, we want to uh, be uh, our chart, a new course, God. We, we want to be different and transformed this year. And, and God, I ask, Lord, that it would start by the sharing of our faith, Lord, that we would take bold and courageous steps this year. Lord, those people, those coworkers, those students, Lord, 
those neighbors, Lord, those people that you've put on our hearts, Lord, that we've been reluctant to share our faith with, God, I ask, Lord, that this would be the year that no longer would there be excuses made. No longer, Father, we would be just, uh, maybe tomorrow, Father, I ask God that you would so rest upon us in a convicting way where we must do it now. Now is the time, God, I ask, Lord, for every Christian here under the sound of my voice and watching online, that they would take that basket off that light that they would prop that light, Lord, up to the highest place where it can be seen, that that light would give, would give light to a very dark time and a very dark generation. Father, I pray, God, would you move us to action? And Lord, not just for the sake of your gospel, because your gospel will go forth no matter what, but Lord, also our faith becoming strong, Lord, I thank you that this works twofold. It worked twofold for John. Jesus was glorified and John's joy was complete. Father, I ask God that the same would be for us, that we would experience just this great exchange where Jesus is glorified and we are strengthened. Father, I pray for anyone struggling with a shame and a stigma that they've connected to the gospel and the story of Jesus because of the church and her mishandling of the truth and her mishandling of, of Christ. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you break that shame off today and, Lord, that, that we would stand strong and that we would stand bold and ready to share and to argue in a loving way, the faith that has so overtaken our hearts and our lives. Let this be the year, God, where we see the church grow, not just because there's recycled Christians going from church to church, but because new converts are being made. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would end that, that cycling, God, that is so pervasive in the, in, in, here in New England. And God, you would do a new thing in our midst where we would see new believers being made, new converts, people who are new to the faith in Jesus' name. Move us to action, Father. Move us to take action. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.